At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Alrighty, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. I am your host, Cameron Kepitabai. I'm joined, as I always am, by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. We have a very awesome guest. Uh, I'm just going to be a forthright. I'm a huge fan of this man's comedy and the voice that he brings to the world. So without further introduction, Gary Goldman, welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. So, so thanks for making this happen. I appreciate it. So... Gary is a native of Peabody, Mass. He's an athlete of some consequence. And he's also on tour right now, uh, the Born on Third Base Tour, which will be in Newark, New Jersey this weekend, the 18th and 19th of March at the uh, Newark Performing Arts Center. And then he'll be in Foxwoods the 26th of March. I'm sure some of our listeners have made lots of good decisions at Foxwoods. (laughs) And then Gary, you'll be down in South Carolina, North Carolina, Indiana, California, uh, Michigan, Ohio, Orlando, Washington this spring. And thanks to you, I know all the state uh, abbreviations. So that worked out. That worked oh, good. Well. Um, Gary, how's the tour going? It's going really well. I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy with the the turnout, the turnouts for this show. I, I was concerned because of COVID and everything like that, but we've been selling a lot of selling out the shows. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I, I think that comedy is back so i'm really grateful cool well we have you here because we're fans of your comedy but you're a fan a fan of the boston celtics so what we do with our high profile guests is we <laughs> um we do interviews by committee so i'm going to swing you to justin who will kick things off so gary awesome. Goldman, justin quinn let's do it all right so i got growing up a celtics fan because i am the elder statesman of the podcast i.e the old man uh these guys, they haven't grown up yet. That's, that's my assumption. Well, what I want to ask you to, to get started uh, is your first memory of being a Celtics fan. Like for me, it was seeing, I think it was the 84 playoffs and asking what it was. But I mean, what was it for you? I started watching this. Uh, I mean, this is so incredible. I'm so blessed for this. My first year aware of the National Basketball Association was 1979-80. So I saw Larry Bird's rookie year, and that was my introduction to basketball. I, I had followed the Red Sox, but they were not as successful until the new millennium as, as the Celtics were right away. So there, were, there was immediate feedback that 
I was rooting for the right team and they, they lost that year to the Sixers in the second or third round of the NBA playoffs. But then the next year they, they made a, a historic comeback against the Sixers in the, in the Eastern conference finals, they were down three games to one and, and made a comeback. And, and so that, that was, that was the first year where I would say that I watched every every game that was on tv i i watched and 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 mostly live because some of the games i think might have been tape delayed it's yep. possible that year so i i may have watched them on tape delay late at night and gotten highlights but yeah that was my introduction to the celtics which is just r- really my my generation is so so fortunate as far as the athletes we've been able to to follow between Bird and Brady and and Ortiz and Ramirez and it's just it's extraordinary. So speaking of those athletes, who who are your Celtics that you followed in particular? Like we all have like for me, it's Jim Brown. You know, I know Rob Williams is a big fan or has a big fan in Chris Forsberg, for example. Who's your yeah. For for the current Celtics, my 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 guy is is Marcus Smart. I I I love him, and I love Jalen Brown too. But but Marcus was here first, so I, so I've been following him longer than than JB. I I think JB is is a transcendent athlete and and a really important American. Then from that from that Celtics team though. I loved I loved Larry Bird, of course, but it, it seemed kind of corny at the time to tell everybody your favorite player was was Larry Bird. So I was a I was a huge McHale fan, and and I guess that became corny too. But his rookie year, he was not supposed to be a superstar. He he was he was supposed to be an excellent player, but nobody knows a, a, how a rookie's going to play. And he just he was he was so dominant as a shot blocker rebounder and and low post score i mean he he's so influential too i mean almost every low post move that anybody does now is is off of his his tree so the mccallum bird were my guys but also there were so many great role players on that team i mean max was it was incredible and so valuable and and was the the key to that 81 championship and and later on there were c sting and and scott wedman and just guys that that slow white shooters could could really identify with on that on that team and when we got Walton and we had so so many so many great bench bench sparks like ML Carr and and we were just so fortunate did you get a chance to see Pistol Pete when he was playing for the Celtics yes but it was it was I guess it was kind of sad because he was a, a shadow of the of the pistol we know, but I, I did get to see him in the, I think it was the 1984 Schick legends game in which he was in better shape than everybody. And, and everybody said, Oh, he could still play in the NBA today. He was so dominant in that game, which was sort of the, that was the, that was the NBA's sort of announcement that we're, we're a a contender for everybody's eyeballs, the 84 all-star weekend. So who did you root against? I mean, like, I didn't really have like a ring interest against anyone other than Detroit. Uh, to me, it was just like this one amalgamation of, of yeah. players to hate. But I mean, the, the thing was, is I was such a basketball fan and I had so many friends who were. Well, I don't know if people 
know this about Boston in the in the 80s, but white people rooted for the Celtics and and black people rooted for the Lakers or the or the Sixers. And so I had I played a lot of I went to a lot of basketball camps and played on a lot of basketball teams with with black players and they they hated the Celtics. They loved the Lakers and the Sixers. So I I I never really hated the Lakers or Sixers. I realized they 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 uh were were full of of really talented players that I admired. So I I was never one of those I hate LA or anything like that. But I I will say that that I couldn't stand Lambeer. I thought I thought he was a, a real cheap player and anybody who Johnny most called had a nickname for like McFilthy and McNasty for the for the Sixers. I think it was Steve Mix and and maybe Collins or or somebody like that. And, and he hated he hated ruling Mahorn. So so Johnny most really influenced who I, I disliked. But I, I, I didn't really I, I, I knew enough about basketball early on to really some people will say you'll hear them say, oh, this guy sucks. This guy's terrible. But there's not a there's not a player in the NBA who isn't um, an exquisite athlete. So speaking of exquisite athletes, you also <laughs> played some some sports, I believe, football and basketball. Yeah. 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 I played I played football, basketball and lacrosse in high school. And then I played football at, at Boston College very, very poorly. But I was a I was a scholarship athlete because at the at the time they gave like I think 90 scholarships so they could take a chance on on raw athletes and so I could I could run fast and I could jump high. I was like one of those combine um superstars where I where I had great statistics as far as my my uh biography went but put me on a football field and and I was overwhelmed by by the the ag- aggressiveness and and also just there there's a there's a certain there's a certain mental qualification as far as understanding the plays and because in high school you run the route they throw you the ball in college you're reading the the defensive player and you're making decisions and i was just overwhelmed by all the decisions that went into just a, a regular route or a or a pass block or a run block. And, and it just, I was, I was not a good fit, but I was, I was very grateful for the opportunity. So I, I'm not real keen on football, but as far as basketball, there's a big storm going on where, where I live. If you can hear that, apologies. Who would you say you modeled your basketball game after? For me, it was centers, even though I'm only six, two. Yeah, I, I was, I was six foot six, but I knew that that was a height that I would have to be a, a, a guard or a, or a small forward. So I, I guess I, I, I really, I mean, we all tried to play like Larry Bird. So I like to have an inside outside game, but a lot of the moves I was doing, I was, I was copying from, from Kiki Vandeweghe and Jack Sigma. So, so Vandeweghe had this great move where he would jump off the wrong foot on a jump shot and he would throw off everybody as far as their timing went and defending him. And then Sigma had this, this uh, I guess it's called the reverse pivot, but it's basically what every player in the NBA does to square up. But Sigma used to have three moves off it. And it was, it was, it was really, it was really effective because you could, you could shoot right away if they didn't come right up on you and you could up fake if they came up on you and get a, and get an easier shot. So 
So Jack Sigma is this guy that that when I bring this up, nobody is, has heard of him. But then they look at his stats and it's like this guy averaged 20 points a game for some contenders. And he was he was a, a, a really tough guy to guard and he wasn't especially big or fast. I guess he was tall, but he, he was um, he was an average sized big man. So we have something in common, though. You stayed a little closer to home than I did and that we are both, shall we say, expatriate uh, fans of the Celtics. What changed for you when you left the, the Massachusetts area as a fan? Like for me, uh, I saw, for example, somebody wearing a Ray Allen jersey on Teotihuacan, the pyramids here in Mexico, and I immediately had a friend. But I mean, other than that, like being a Celtics fan is a lot of, shall we say, questionable link viewing uh, and finding interesting ways to participate in, in some of the goings on that surround Celtics fandom. So what's it like for you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because luckily New York has, I mean, they have their insane fans, but they also have a lot of fans who are very knowledgeable about the game of basketball. And so like the other night I was wearing this Jersey after that night that, that, the Celtics beat the the Nets 126-120. So I was wearing that in in the village and I talked to a few people who had watched the game that day and I I got to to extol the virtues of of both teams uh, immediately so as to not cause any any feathers to be ruffled but I I I do know that there are some insane fans so I would never wear this to a to a Knicks game. I, I would try to blend in. I, I, I don't want any trouble. And, and I, I, I mean that some of those people are, are absolutely crazy the way they treat some of the, the, the uh, away teams. It's, it's, it's really cruel. Like um, the way they were, were to uh, Trey young last, last summer was just obnoxious. It was, it was crazy. There's been some, Similar incidents, of course, with the Celtics. Oh yeah, yeah. The Celtics fans are the Celtics fans are a nightmare if you're if you're going in there. I I I mean it's uh yeah it's it's appealing in in some ways, but also I I I would be afraid for my life. So speaking of an era uh, where people were afraid for their lives uh, (laughs) watching basketball. Uh, there is a new series on HBO called Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've really been getting into it. I think that, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but poor Jerry West really gets a raw deal in this series. They really lay it on thick with him. But uh, I've been enjoying the limited experience I've seen of uh, the portrayal of, of uh, Red Auerbach by Michael Chiklis. I was wondering if you'd seen any of it, what your thoughts were, if you felt it was accurate to that era because i know you had a, a much more let's just say less sleepwalking seven-year-old boy uh awareness <laughs> yeah. of that era of celtics basketball yeah i first of all i've been aware of this show for a long time because i i i'm developing a series with with adam mckay so the the people who work with him and around him and 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 everything have been giving me little uh piece of information about the show as they've been developing it over the years. And they, they all along the way, they assured me that I was going to love it. And I thought this, first of all, to me, the apex of, of basketball on television was the white shadow in the, in the uh, early eighties. 
and and since then they've made some attempts here and there that were okay but the the last dance is probably the the highlight of basketball programming and they've made some decent movies but let me let me say this about winning time it's perfect and it has done something that i never thought would be possible and it's only theoretically because this is this is largely uh fictional or embellished and it's covering a time from a long time ago but i find myself rooting for jerry bus and right. and the and the the lakers in in a way that i i could have never conceived of in in any other circumstances the other thing is that the, i will say that they are portraying jerry west as a miserable man but the truth is is that he's he's suffered from depression most of his life and and <clears throat> i don't think it's diagnosed on the on the show yet or at at any point i don't know but he is just such a tragic figure on this on this show and it's 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 riveting i can't look away it's it's just a beautiful show it's so well done and the and the touches and it's smart and it's funny and the acting and the writing i i'm blown away by this show I'll just hop in. Um, so that Michael Chiklis, Red Auerbach. I, I, I don't know if you got screeners. I watched it last night. Yeah, I watched it last ago. night. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, there's a Vulture article where Mark, Michael Chiklis talks about his fandom of Red Auerbach. I guess his dad went to BU or he went to BU. His dad grew up a Celtics fan. So um, I would commend that to anyone who watched Winning Time. because Oh, I'm going to check that out. Um, we're going to talk about the modern Celtics. But first, I want to talk about our sponsor, betonline.ag. It's that time of year. College basketball is taking center stage and the tournament is finally upon us. Looking to wager on all that action? Bet Online is the number one spot for all of your updated odds and information along with, the, with great contests, including our own bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. Gary and everyone else, I have a, um, a really great prop bet that I found on betonline.ag. Which will be higher? Gary, I'm going to go to you first. Which will be higher? The lowest game score of the tournament or Sister Jean's age, which is 102. <laughs> and um, if you're betting with Sister Jean, you get a plus 170. I, th I, think, I think her age. I think there will be a game under her, under her age. Okay. So yeah. if you're betting with Gary and you're betting with the, the game score, that's a minus 250. Um, Gary, I guess you're a college hoops fan. Who do you think wins it all? Gonzaga. Zaga. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of obvious. I just, I've, I've noticed over the years that the teams that, that almost win it come very close or win it the following year. So I, I think they, they have a, a, a great advantage in, in not being blindsided by the pressure and the, and the um, excitement. Yeah. I mean, like that's how Tom Brady always says about the Super Bowl, like the first half of the halftime show are a whole different experience than the second half. Yeah. Might be something. Anyways, yeah. if you think, Gary is right. Head over to the betonline.ag website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. The fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games, BetOnline, where the game starts. All right. Uh, Alex, I'm tapping you in. You and Gary get to talk about the modern Celtics, the current crop of Celtics. So away we Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Thanks, Cam. And thanks to you, Gary, for coming on. Really appreciate it.
Um, so first off, uh, congratulations on the tour. I know that that's a really fun and cool thing that you're doing. And I would encourage any listeners who have a chance to try and grab some tickets to that uh, for sure. Go and see Gary when you can. When you're on tour, are you able to catch the games easily? Is this something, are you watching recaps? Like, how are you able to keep up with the seas when you're on tour? I, I DVR every every game so if i i am away for a game i'll come home and and watch it as soon as i get by sometimes i know the results sometimes i i don't but i i i don't miss a game as far as dvring goes and and because i have the i have the league pass i mean sometimes i'll have to i'll have to listen to the away game broadcast because i didn't i didn't choose the right one to record but i i don't miss a game really Who's your favorite away game team? I'm just curious, like in terms of the broadcast team, are there any away teams that you're like, wow, I really like the, these guys as broadcasters? Yeah, I really, I really like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I, th- I think his name is Austin Carr. He mm. was a, he was a superstar when I was a kid and in the NBA and, and he's a really good broadcaster. And I also love, I love Walt Frazier and, and Mike Breen in, in New York. I, I think they're really excellent too. Nice. Yeah, those are good ones. Um, so let's get into kind of what your thinking is around the Celtics this season. So um, in, in the prep work for this podcast, I listened to uh, some previous episodes that you were on for uh, other podcasts. And there was one that stood out to me in November when I was listening to it. And this was kind of in the middle of the Celtics having a pretty tough stretch of games, uh, I, you know, in November and kind of December as well. The Celtics, it seemed like we're not really in great shape and maybe in danger of being a play-in team. And now clearly things have changed quite a bit. Celtics are knocking on the door of the four seed and one of the hottest teams in the NBA. So with that in mind, um, it appears that you have been vindicated in your early season optimism. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, and what I, what I'm, I would love to open up some space for you. Uh, what would you like to say to everyone who doubted you and doubted the Celtics? Well, I, I think that the, the people were being so, so foolish and impatient and, and petulant because they, they didn't even give Ime a half a season before they were saying fire him. And, and this was a, a huge mistake. They also didn't really give the starting five, even a dozen opportunities to work together. So I, 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 just think it's it's so easy to want to throw everything throw everything out because you didn't win right away and there wasn't a a, a, a long streak. So I'm, I'm I, the thing is is that I am excited about every Celtics team every year and the past two years before this year have have not been fair assessments because one was a, a bubble and they actually fared quite well. And the second one was a season that they started way too soon and did had to do without, without a training camp or, or a very limited training camp. They, they also, if you, if you noticed from the, from the bubble to the following year, there wasn't a single team who made it to the, to the conference finals in the bubble year who made it past the second round last season. So it was, it was clearly fatigue and, and also the, the, the COVID restrictions and the, the COVID positive. So the last season was not a fair test and they didn't even give this new coach a, a half a season. I, I mean, I, 
I would have been happy had had Brad and Danny continued, but I'm very, very thrilled by by what's transpired with with Udoka. And, and I, I think he's a really, really special guy. And, and I also am really impressed by the fact that he didn't he didn't take the bait with everybody calling for his job and 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 tell everybody to f off. So he he has he has a a a, a, a great deal of of strength and and perspective because the Boston fans are are a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Gary, I'm glad to have you on this podcast because you're vindicating all of the agendas that I've been laying out over the course of the year. So you're doing a really good job. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, You mentioned earlier that uh, one of the reasons that the Celtics were kind of struggling and fatigued was because of obviously the COVID policies and the lack of training camp and other stuff. And COVID has had a pretty pronounced effect on the NBA and the league at large. Um, And some players have adapted pretty well to that. And some players have not adapted all that well to this new COVID reality. So you you kind of strike me as a sage, knowledgeable individual. Um, could you offer any advice to Kyrie Irving, who seems to be really struggling with the current status of the COVID policy in the NBA? Uh, and could you also offer any advice to maybe some frustrated Nets fans in your lives? It's such a it's such a bummer because I, I I haven't seen very many players more talented than Kyrie Irving and and more interesting to watch and and yet I I feel I mean it's it's difficult for me to separate how he treated the younger players that that last season he was in Boston it's it's hard for me to separate that from what's going on now with his his participation this this season so i i mean he has his he has his reasons they they seem to be to be absurd to me and i i just it's it's a shame because this is what he's going to be remembered for and he's 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 as good as anybody who played during his his tenure as a as a player and yet mostly people are going to remember what a difficult teammate he was and how many bad decisions he he made as as far as as far as being outspoken there was no reason why he had to tell everybody that he called lebron james and apologized for how he was playing when he was a younger player to throw the younger players on the celtics under the bus and i and i i i can't tell you how much it impresses me that JT and and JB hug him and are and are respectful to him when he sees they see him at the at the garden most recently the amount of grace that would have to take because I I I'm a person who holds grudges and have been grinding axes since I was 10 years old so for for them to have have let this pass is is really impressive and I just I eventually he's going to have a, a season that he was made to have because there won't be COVID and he'll be playing with the right team and he'll have some, some experience and we'll remember that. But, but for me, I'll always, I'll always remember him as the, as the guy who, who let, let his teammates down in, in Boston and, and then made these really, really difficult to explain decisions regarding COVID. 
Do you think that that right team will be the Brooklyn Nets or somebody else? No, I don't think it'll be the Nets. I, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to be able to, to turn that situation around. And, and I mean, they'll, they'll be competitive, but I, I don't see how they, they make it to the finals. Very interesting. Um, speaking of kind of other teams in the league, so obviously you do a lot of touring and we talked earlier about kind of your favorite away broadcast teams. Just in general, are there any teams when you're looking at your touring schedule that you say, like you circle on the schedule and say, I want to go, if I have any time at all, catch a basketball game in this town while I'm touring? There is there is not a town on on my that has a basketball team that I would not be thrilled to see a, a live game. I mean, I've gone to to games when the T Wolves were were not winning, and 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 so any any team, it it doesn't matter whether they have a winning record. Every team has a has a player that's exciting to watch, and and was and and every team will have one player every night who plays a basketball game that you you can't conceive of playing yourself. So that, that, that always, that, that always amazes me living, living in New York. I'll, I'll go to the, I go to the basketball court every day and, or I'll go to the Y and I'll get in a game, a two on two or, or a one-on-one game with, with somebody either young or old. And I'll say, this is the best basketball player I've ever played against. And they, they didn't play past high school. So it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's really an extraordinary game one of my favorite things about the the winning time is jerry buss is so in love with basketball and and keeps talking about what a beautiful game basketball is and and people will tell me to in my in my life to shut up already but i there's there's no sport that that has the athleticism and and the the what do you call it? the improvisation and when you think about football, one of the things in football that is so, so revered is catching a ball that was thrown to you. And in the NBA, there, there are no points or, or it, you just catch a ball that's really hard to catch all the time and they don't stop the game and you don't run out of bounds with it. It's just part of the game. It's just, and, the, and then the, there's nothing in sports like a slam dunk and they do it 10, 15 times a game. Um, speaking of some of those players that you kind of mentioned earlier, so you mentioned that Marcus Smart is your guy when it comes to the Boston Celtics, your favorite player, and Jalen Brown is up there as well. Who are your favorite players and teams that are not Celtics? I think that I think that Steph Curry. All right, so I grew up. I was watching Del Curry, and and he was great. And I think the best analogy. I can say is that Del Curry is the Old Testament God and Seth Curry is Jesus Christ. He's the Old Testament God, a lot of followers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Made a, lot of, made a lot of great moves, but Jesus Christ changed the game. 
and that and that's how I feel about about Steph. I think he's the Jesus of of basketball. I mean, Steph Curry is popular in China, and I don't know that Del Curry had had sold any shirts in in China. I mean, it's just he's like J- Jalen Brown. He's he's transcended basketball. He's and and I mean, I'm also a huge LeBron fan. I'm a huge Giannis fan. I love I love Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant is 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 as good a player as I've ever seen in my in my life. And and so th- th- there's never been a better time to watch basketball. I I I'm convinced. All right. Well, that's a really great answer. And you know, as as an Old Testament guy myself, I appreciate the biblical references. So that's yeah, good the stuff. Thing- the thing is, is that Del, most of Del Curry's fans are middle-aged Jews like myself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and the same thing with Judaism. Most most of the fans are are of of the Old Testament are are middle-aged Jewish men. <laughs> well, you've got a fan here. Um, so speaking of uh, formerly middle-aged, now deceased Jewish men, um, Adam Silver versus David Stern as a commissioner. Who you got? Oh man. I mean, that, that's another great thing in winning time is how beautifully David Stern is portrayed in that episode the other night. So, so I mean, David Stern is a revolutionized the game, saved the game. I mean, he's, he's really, I, I don't know enough about Adam Silver, but whenever I read books that cover the NBA during that period, they make it so clear that David Stern was was a, a, a genius, and and in the in the winning time they have a Chiron under his name when they when they show his name and it says visionary, and and I mean it, he's it sounds like he's a fan like we are that we he loved this game and but also believed in it and and saw what it was was capable of. I mean he made a a mistake as far as as the dress code and small things like that but i i think for the most part he was uh such a such a as without michael jordan it's probably not it doesn't happen in that way dramatically and as fast but i think david stern it's it's michael jordan and then david stern larry bird magic johnson i think were the were the 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 keys to where the nba came um came to in the nineties and then, and where it is now. I want to jump in and defend the honor of Mr. Stern. Uh, he may have done some things right. Like the dress code was definitely one of those missteps and there's probably others, but I do want to say of a story to mention a story I just heard recently that I think that silver should listen to, which was when uh, I think it was Scott Skiles was complaining about locker room access for the press and David Stern in the middle of the board of governors meeting basically turns uh, to Skiles and says, okay, so we have your opinion on this side. And over here we have $780 million. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the end of the discussion. Basically. There's a lot of expletives involved that I I can't really get away with here, but I just wanted to jump in. You know, that's so good. Where, where is that story told? That's such a great story. Oh, where did I hear that? It was on another podcast. I have to think about it. Wow. Love it. Yeah, that was a good one. All right. Last question. And then I'm going to hand it over to Cam for the last segment. Um, So Kevin Garnett, big uh, friend of the pod, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, He just got his number retired. 
Do you think that there's anyone on this current Celtics team, when you look at everything that's going on with this squad, how you followed them over the past few years, are there any current Celtics team members that you feel will see the same fate as Kevin Garnett, uh, seeing their numbers raised to the rafters? Yes, of course. I, I think they'll, they'll retire 36. They will, they will retire seven. I, I hope I just, I, I just hope he'll stay with us long enough that, that, that becomes a consideration. Uh, J- zero JT will be up there. I, I, I think that, there, there are, are, it's, it's so early in his career, but there are, there are things about, about Robert Williams that make me think he'll be a, a Celtics legend. Same with, with Grant Williams, that Grant Williams could, could, could be a person. I mean, the way he's been making those corner threes. So I'm, I'm envisioning my, when I'm in my eighties, that players on the Celtics are wearing numbers like a 106 (laughs) <laughs> and and uh, 98 and numbers like that because we we've had so many special players and the idea of of retiring the numbers is 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 something we we have embraced i think you just added five names to the rafters correct me if i'm wrong so you might be right celtics might be running out of numbers and might have to get funky anyway thank you so much gary i'm gonna hand uh, off my to pleasure it's great questions yeah, my first question is, a, is much more serious and, and straight-laced. So uh, the Grant Williams, the unbridled optimism of Grant Williams, I'm about to pivot hard, right? Um, but your, your special on HBO, The Great Depression, was really honest, a beautiful moment, um, and a funny moment at that. And I just wanted to pick your brain about kind of that, that parallel moment that the NBA has had in the past few seasons. Um, you have open about being someone who lives with mental illness, people like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan have been similarly really open. What do you think about how the NBA has, has opened up about that? What do you think about mental health and sports at this current moment? Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not trying to be glib at all. I, I really believe this, but it will sound, it will sound unusual, but there has never been a better time to be mentally ill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are so many treatment options and there are so many people who have been open about it, like, like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and, and Jerry West. I mean, this was, this was huge because part of the, the reason why people don't realize they're depressed is they think that everybody who is not a huge success or living their dreams is miserable all the time. And when I found out that, that, Jerry West was suffering with depression when I found out that Kevin Love, when you when you hear that Michael Phelps and these other athletes or or Bruce Springsteen is has been very open about his mental illness. When you realize that there's not a level of achievement or success or hard work that is going to make you stop thinking that you're worthless or or renew your energy when you start to realize that it's biological and and not some character flaw, I need to work harder. I need to be more successful. Then that's when people get help. And that's when people stop blaming themselves for feeling the way that they have no choice. It's, it's, it's an illness. So it's, it, I, I can't thank these people enough because it is not easy to admit to a bunch of, of athletes who are looking for every competitive advantage that you are, are suffering and, and that 
that this thing that could make a coach less likely to depend on you or make a management less likely to want to sign you to to come out and say I needed help it's it's just it takes a a, a great deal of of strength and and also it's it's not it's it's so unselfish because the selfish mm-hmm. thing would be to just keep it to yourself and 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 even within your team it would it would be perfectly understandable that you don't want America to know that that you're suffering but but it's it's such a gift so and and I think it it enables other people and empowers other people to be honest about it from 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 celebrities to people within your family and and friends so it, it's just I'm I'm really fortunate to to live at a time when I when I do when my when I felt comfortable going on HBO and telling strangers that I that I was hospitalized with depression and it and it's just I wouldn't have felt safe or comfortable doing that even 10 years ago. Sure. And I guess an amendment to, to that question, and it's it can undo what we just talked about, but whether it's you or Hannah Gadsby, I mean, the, the shift in comedy has, it's not just broken the fourth wall, it's shattered it. I mean, it, the arrangement that you have with an audience, the intimacy you have with an audience, do you feel now post Great Depression that that, that is your market or that that is your brand or that was a moment of honesty and uh born on third base is something something new um i i think that i i sort of reject the idea of a of a of a brand but i i do think that it was a an, an artistic step in that i could be more vulnerable and and so I can carry that into other areas. And, and because I think that a lot of my work has become autobiographical and, and I feel comfortable with that. And the, and the deeper I'm, I'm able to go, I mean, it's, it's, I probably won't get as deep ever again as I, as I got on that, because now I'm, I'm an open book, but in, but perhaps something will will come about w- which will require that, and and I'll have had that that experience and, and the the comfort with with ad- addressing that and being open about that. So that that that's really that's really helpful. And and again, it's it's standing on the shoulders of other other comedians. So l- like with the athletes opening up about it, but Hannah Gadsby and Maria Bamford, and and mm-hmm. even even when I was coming up, there were just comedians who who would be open about even even talking about going to therapy when I was starting out was was uncommon for for comedians, but it was pretty much only comedians who were being honest about that. So it's 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 really something to see comedians sort of take the lead in 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 that type of honesty and vulnerability. It's 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 really something I'm, I'm proud of. Sure. And I'm, yeah, I mean, I think I thank you very much for your voice and, and using your platform in that way. And for what it's worth, you made it funny. I mean, you could have made it very oh, serious that, and that would be worthwhile yeah. too. I mean, that was the that's always the prime directive because I I whether something works or or not is is based on whether it's to me, whether it's funny. If it, if I'm also getting across a, an information and a message then that's fine. And I'll, I'll take a sentence or two off from being funny to get a, to get an idea out there, but, but people come to, to the shows to laugh. So I, I never lose sight of that. 
I might be misremembering what, uh, it was, I think it was an episode of the Berbiglia podcast that you were on where you came to the conclusion that life is about being amusing or being amused. Was that you? Oh, I don't think so. But that's a really good, I, I mean, it might be. I, I say so much that I forget. <laughs> so so it's it's hard to say, but I, 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 I don't know that I use the word amuse very much. So it would be surprising if I did. I did use that. I, I have certain go-to expressions and amuse is not one. All right. Well, with respect to our friend, Mike Birbiglia, someone said it, it stuck yeah. with me. All right. I, I just have a couple of miscellaneous questions. Um, if, if you'll stick with that. And this is, I guess, a segue good enough that I'm under the impression that the comedy world is, is pretty close knit. Um, so I don't want to take away. You are a ce- celebrity of real renown, right? Um, but <laughs> I'll tell you, so I used to cover the game in person and I would see LeBron or Steph Curry in the flesh, but because the context made sense, I never felt starstruck. It was just like, yeah, you're in a sports locker room. There you are. That makes sense to me. But twice I was phenomenally starstruck in covering the game. CeCe Sabathia and David Spade were in the halls and I was like, oh my goodness, it's CeCe Sabathia. And I felt really embarrassed because, I mean, he's a big star, but he's not the biggest. So that's a circuitous way of saying, again, you rub elbows. I mean, you have had higher profile uh, promotional spots than this, but um, have you had a moment where you've been starstruck um, either in the context of like a green room or just like out in the wild? That's a great question. I think that like a, a, a few weeks ago, I met, I met Bill Walton. Whoa. And I mean, he's somebody that I was uh, I was a fan of before he got to the Celtics and then he came to the Celtics and he won everybody over. I mean, it was sort of like if, if Pete Maravich had had been the sixth man on those Celtics teams, it was this opportunity to see a guy who you'd you'd heard about and, and Red Auerbuck took a chance on him and he and he played just beautifully that season. But then over the years, I've I've read about him and cause he's always covered in any book about John Wooden and I'm a huge John Wooden admirer. And then he wrote a book a few years ago called back from the dead. And mm-hmm. it was, it was really well done. And, and I, I got the audible version. So I listened to it and I, I really got to know him, but his, his story is just so inspiring. Anyhow, he happened to be signing basketballs at an event I was performing at and the the organizer introduced me to him and i would i was i wouldn't say i was starstruck but i was meeting a hero and yeah. and i kept telling him how great and important he was and he kept telling me to lower the bar and that <laughs> um and he and he said i had great parents and i had great coaches that's why i was able to do so many extraordinary things. I, I, I can't take credit for these things. He was so humble and so kind. And, and I, I was just, I, I guess I was, I was giddy and I couldn't <laughs> shut up. And, and there were so many questions. I wish I had asked him, like, I wish I had asked him if he had ever played with anybody who could shoot as well as Steph Curry, like, cause he played with Jamal Wilkes and he played with with World Be Free. He played with some guys who could really make long shots. And I, I wanted to ask him that. I, I'm sure the answer is no, but I I would have liked to have heard who was 
who was close and who reminded him of and and what this is like. But that that was the the most recent and most starstruck I've been. But I've I've like worked with with George Carlin and and Ray Romano and and people like that who I I admired so so greatly and they've been so nice that I, I'm I'm I I guess I've been lucky. I haven't met anybody who I would I would say oh that person really ruined it for me and 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 so so I'm really grateful for that. Although I hear Seinfeld's an asshole. <laughs> No comment. Um, <laughs> just wait, wait till you meet CC Sabathia. That's the tops. Um, okay. I'll say that uh, just a quick aside, uh, NBC sports, Boston has a quick 1986 documentary and they talk about Bill Walton took everyone to a grateful dead concert. Yes. I Dan- saw that. I saw that. Danny documentary says, a couple of Danny times. Says his awesome. wife wouldn't let him go. Right. It's so yeah. good. So yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. They said that, either Bruce Springsteen or Jerry Garcia was the Larry Bird of, of rock and roll or something like that. And I, I thought that was really, really cool that Larry Bird didn't really understand who Bruce Springsteen was. <laughs> All right, uh, Gary, a few more. Uh, you have a bunch of teachers on the call. Uh, I take, I, Wikipedia, I'll be honest. Wikipedia told me you used to be a teacher um, in some capacity. How is teaching like stand-up comedy? I was a I was a building sub, so I would go in every day. It was it was actually a really cool job, except that the kids knew how much I was making because it was advertised on the cable channel. I got forty five dollars a day. So some of the kids would would mock me. But for the most part, the students were really were really very polite. And when they found out that I was a comedian, they would they would ask me to do jokes and I would always. I was I was able to win them over because I would say if you behave for a half hour, I'll do 15 minutes of comedy at the at the end. And so I could get them to behave just by by this little this little promise. And I had I had good jokes, but they were also a lot of things that were so specific to that high school and and that community that they they really didn't travel at all. I mean, they didn't travel outside outside those rooms. So it was, it was really fun. And, and the way comedy is, is like teaching is that certain, certain the, okay. So the, the students are the audience and audiences can, they, they realize when they're in good hands and when they're not. And we, we all have those teachers who, yelled and screamed at the top of their voice and nobody paid attention. And then there were the teachers who were, they were, they were alpha dogs, whether they were men or, or women, they were the alpha of the, of the classroom. And they never had to raise their voice. They never had to, had to keep anybody after school and they just had complete control over, over their classroom. So there's a certain posture and a, and a, and a certain body language as a comedian that you can, and you can fake it for a while that you have to have to, to sort of make the audience know that they're, that they're in, in safe hands. And because if they lose respect or, or, or that they don't believe that, that you're the real deal, they, they start talking amongst themselves and it, and it just, it devolves. Yeah. I mean, my kids have cell phones and Chromebooks in front of them while I'm trying to be the alpha. And I can't, <laughs> 
I can't compete with Wordle. That's ridiculous. No. At this point, we just do Wordle to start the class. I mean, there's just, uh, there's no you have, to. you have to. I'm not as interesting as five letter words. I mean, that's, uh, all right, Gary. Um, I had a conversation with my sister about this, quite frankly. I love, um, I think it was in this economy, your Trump bit, the barely billionaire. Oh, and yeah. Then, uh, egg on your face, that dude became president. Do you think that joke aged well or uh, not so much? Um, I think that my disdain for him. Yep, that aged very well. That aged very well. <laughs> and it's it's just... The, the thing that hasn't aged is that Bill Gates is not even the, the richest man anymore. And Elon Musk is worth 200 billion. So the numbers are, are way off, but the, the, the sentiment and the uh, emotional aspect of that joke, I think resonates because I think income inequality is, is still a, a real scourge. I mean, finding $20 in your coat wouldn't buy you guac anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. I wouldn't be able to take my friend out for two burritos. We would we would have to get tacos and, and we couldn't get a drink probably. I'd have to call my accountant first. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of scourges, what has touring been like in COVID? I mean, for better or for worse, things have relaxed. But I'm sure making a living as a comedian... Uh, through most of the pandemic was not an easy thing to do. Yeah. I, I mean, of course there was a, there was a year where I didn't do it. And then coming back, we, we had to be very, very careful. And, and the timing was, was very lucky for like I did, I was able to do Carnegie hall right before another surge. And then mm-hmm. I, I was able to, to do uh, this, this part I got on, on Amy Schumer's new show, which is, which is premiering this week on, on Hulu. And so things worked out for me. So I was very grateful for that. But the, the thing that I, the thing that I really miss about my tour dates is I used to do a a meet and greet that would last an hour, an hour and a half sometimes. And, and it was really fun to take pictures. And I felt like the people felt like they, they, they got an extra bonus for their money. and, And I haven't been able to do that. I'm hoping I'll be able to do it someday but it'll be it'll be different i used to hug 400 people or whatever it was it was a lot of fun that that, that makes my whole body cringe i know that in this moment I know. someday and i like to give hugs i like to give <laughs> hugs. all right penultimate question do you miss living in boston or living around boston yeah i i, I miss it because it, i mean the, the 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 best part of of where you grow up is the relationships you build over the years. So I miss being able to see my, my friends frequently and, and being able to go to certain places. Like when I went to Boston college, I I would go to Pino's pizza in in Cleveland circle, like three or four times. I was wearing a Pino's sweatshirt earlier and I didn't like how it made my neck look. So Uh. I took it off. (laughs) That, wow, right in the bones. Thank you for saying that. Sorry, continue. That's so funny. But my my friend Mike Power, who was a quarterback for the for the BC Eagles when I was a when I was a freshman, he was a fifth year senior. He tells this great story of going down to Pino's and he saw a car pull up and in the passenger seat, and it was in front of the liquor store that's down there. Mm-hmm. 
and in the passenger seat was Larry Bird. And he was with three or four other players from the team, and they were all wearing their BC jackets. So they thought that Larry would be interested in talking to them. And he said, we went over there and we said, hey, Larry, what's up? We played football at BC. And he said that Larry never really looked him in the eyes. They just saw his automatic window go up and he tried to avoid talking to them. And it's one of my favorite my favorite Larry Bird stories. And then there's another one of of some kids seeing Larry out drinking the night before a playoff game. And they said, Larry, don't you have a game tomorrow? And he said, you let Larry Bird worry about Larry Bird. And and I can't verify this, of course, but my friend said he went out the next day and scored 30 points and had over over a dozen rebounds. So that but there were a lot of those stories i heard around that that time so anyhow i miss boston greatly yes if i if my students ever see me out i'm gonna say you let mr t worry about mr t (laughs) that's such a good line yeah my mom uh has a story about larry bird buying suits in the middle of the day definitely intoxicated but that's her story to tell not mine i love it all right uh i'm gonna channel my inner ezra klein and i'm gonna close with a book recommendation What's your favorite sports book of all time? Because I know you read. Yeah, I, re- I read. I read more than anybody, you know, my favorite <laughs> sports book of all time. I would have to say. Now, most most fans say David Halberstam's breaks of the game. Which is really good, but I didn't grow up in that time period. So I, I, I wasn't really following basketball when that time period took place, but I do think he's the greatest sports writer and he wasn't a sports writer. He was the greatest writer who wrote some books about sports, but his book about Michael Jordan called playing for keeps is the, is the best book I've, I've read on basketball. I mean, he went all the way and he had access and, and he is just an extraordinary writer and, and so that's the best sports book I've ever, I've ever read. I mean, I, I do read a lot of sports books and I, I love Jack McCollum wrote a, a great book about the dream team. And th- that's another great one that I would, that I would recommend. But th- mm-hmm. so th- I'll recommend those two today. I loved men at work by, by uh, George F. Will. He wrote he wrote a, a baseball book, but he's such a, a miserable old <laughs> Republican conservative that I, I, I don't want to recommend anything he wrote. But it was a great baseball book. But stick with stick with Halberstam and and also Jack. Mc, anything Jack McCallum writes is, is terrific. He's he's a really smart basketball and sports writer and and usually that that bums me out about sports writers is they're not the best of the writers they're like we were we were pretty lucky i guess i was never a fan of shaughnessy but bob ryan was was incredible and and peter gammons really really great sports writers but in general what passes for great writing among among sports writing is is uh they they they, they really don't have a very, very high bar. Well, shots fired. 
if you happen to publish listen, anything soon, let's go, see what if you're going to if you're going to ask for people's time to read a book, then you should be writing at the at the highest level and not phoning it in. They cover people who dedicate their lives to sports and they're not dedicating their lives to writing. It's 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 insulting. Write better. I, like it. I love that. All right. <laughs> Justin writes for sports. Justin, can you hear that? <laughs> I do. And actually, I'm a, I'm a big believer in it. Like the nature of my job very frequently requires me to, as I was saying earlier, be a carpenter of sorts, just build the structure, move on, build the structure, move on. It's not about art. It's about handicraft. Right. But if you're going to, as you said, put the ask on someone of devoting, you know, at least several hours of their lives, if not longer, then you really should be putting a little bit more into it. Not just in terms of like good writing, but also good research. You know, don't just vomit up a bunch of stuff that you can find on Wikipedia. It's, it's a waste yes. of people's time. Yes. And the, and the other thing is that they, they, one of my favorite things is that that list that George Orwell gave for, for writing and for journalists. And one of them is to not use cliches and sports writers depend on these cliches. <laughs> and it, and it is such an F you to a reader that I am not even going to bother to figure out a metaphor or a simile and and put the effort in that you're putting into reading this and it just my my i i i become enraged you can see i become yeah, enraged this is the most animated you've been in another for an hour <laughs> <laughs> all right gary i can't thank you enough on behalf of Alex this Jeff was Hill. this was awesome yeah, you're invited Come back, back anytime, anytime you'd like. Oh, yeah. Let's do this maybe in the playoffs or, or sure, after the championship. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, let me tell right. the people again, born on third base, the tour. You're going to be in New Jersey and Newark at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center this weekend. And you'll be at Foxwoods the following weekend. You can go online for uh, other tour dates in South Carolina, North Carolina, Indiana, yeah. California, all over the place. Yeah, GaryGoldman.com. Thanks so much, guys. It was great meeting you. Yeah, Thanks, likewise. likewise. All right, peace. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.